Straw Hut Media. Hi, I'm Jamie Denbo, professional in many areas. Don't be alone with this professional, Jay Kogan. Don't be alone with Jay Kogan. That's a long note. Uh, this is me, Jay Kogan. I have been, uh, you've been warned not to be alone with me, but here we are again together. Uh, I'm thrilled that uh, whoever's listening, and I don't know who would possibly be listening other than me, <laughs> listening to this over and over again. No, it's important. It's important to so, go over your own stuff. So, Jay, I'm glad, I'm glad you're listening. <laughs> I hope Hi, you're well. Hi, Jay. I, I hope things are good for you, Jay. They are. Um, this is Don't Be Alone with Jay Kogan, a podcast about staying connected in a very disconnected world. Mm-hmm. That's the whole reason I made the podcast. That is such um, a good intention. Isn't it? Yes. I'm a good person. I know. Uh, not always, but all right. Uh, but anyway, I'm your host, Jake Hogan. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, we do viewer mail every week. Please write into uh, D-B-A-W-J-A-Y-K-O-G-E-N at gmail.com. That's don't be alone with Jake Hogan, J at gmail.com. And, uh, and I will answer them as, uh, as quickly and uh, politely as I can. Um, anyway, uh, I am uh, sitting here with my friend Jamie, and uh, I will give her a proper introduction in a second. But uh, I was thinking about this, which is fear. Mm-hmm. I Sometimes I am afraid. I am afraid to write. I am afraid to show up to things. I'm sometimes afraid to say hello. Sometimes I'm afraid to uh, call somebody out of the blue. I went, before I was married, I was afraid to ask girls out on dates. Mm-hmm. I was afraid... Uh, to do things because I was afraid I would suck or I was afraid to be rejected or I was afraid that uh, I would fail in many ways. And um, we don't want to be revealed or I don't want to be revealed as a talentless hack, as an imposter, all the things that go through your mind that stop you from doing the things that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would uh, sublimate that fear often by eating Mm -hmm. um, and uh, by doing other things to sort of calm the waters, but I did find a way to function, which was I did eat and I did calm myself down and I was able to actually become a comedian, become an actor, become a writer, um, do things. And sometimes I failed and Mm -hmm. sometimes I succeeded. But the trick is how do we do that? How do we, how do we deal with our, our fears? And so I want to give you a full introduction. So anyway, this is my guest, Jamie Denbo. Leo. Uh, a Leo mm-hmm. from uh, uh, Swamp Scott, Massachusetts. Indeed. Uh, uh, who I've known for a solid 30 years, mm-hmm. something like that. Just about. Um, we worked together on a pilot and. My first real pilot job, and it was so good. And we had so much fun, and uh, you are an incredibly talented actress, a funny comedian. Turns out you're a great writer. I didn't know that at the time, but now you're a great writer. Um, and, uh, and you know, she's had uh, many successes. She created a show called American Princess. Yep, I think it's like $9.99 if you're Prime Video, Prime Amazon Prime. It's $29.99 if you're not. Now, lately, uh, you've been doing a, a show with your husband called mm-hmm. Super Married uh, with John, uh, what's his name? John, John Ross Bowie? John Ross Bowie. Bowie, that's right, that's Bowie. Right. Like David, Why I didn't take Like David Bowie. Correct. Uh, uh, yep. It's not Bowie, it's Bowie. And the famous Bowie knife. Yes, exactly. Uh, And then, uh, uh, so you've been writing lately on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. That's that's amazing. Anyway. With you there is no storm that we can't weather. We may be lost, but we're lost together. I don't know what our affinity has been. This is what an interesting 
to cuss whenever I've had something, anything that you could do, I've called you and said, will you please do it? There's something about you performing that's great, something about just your, I, I don't know what the simpatico is, but there's something about you that really strikes me as somebody I instantly liked and uh, instantly carried a personality with you wherever you go that, that appeals to me. So I don't know what that is. Thank you. I, I, well, I, I mean, I feel so lucky to be, have, have been in the orbit of Jay Kogan since the beginning of my career, really, which has been such a wonderful thing to keep cycling back to. Like, I would wind up doing just, if it wasn't the pilot initially, which should have gone. Yes. What's up, Peter Fuddy? Sure. It was fucking great. That was great. Am I allowed to swear on this? Sure. But to always kind of come back to getting the privilege of being part of a Jay Kogan project in some way was just such a badge of honor for me and always has been. So, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm glad it exists. Well, this me too. This magnet energy. So I want to ask mm -hmm. you uh, about this subject of fear. Now, you uh, you started doing uh, uh, improv at the UCB and uh, you've been doing – you've had shows and you've – You've risked a lot. Every audition, mm -hmm. every time that you've been with, uh, 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 you know, any kind of creative endeavor, it's a scary thing. And we were just now talking about, and I want to back up. Sure, sure. We were just now talking about, there was a moment in your life recently mm -hmm. where you felt like everything was sort of taken off the table. Yep. And you were just at a creative, you said, rock bottom. Yep. And you had to start up again. Yep. So that's a perfect example of the moment when you have to either, you know, fight your fear and do something or just collapse. Okay, well, it's so interesting. I love this question so much because, you know, I think of myself as a terrified human being. I think, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know any comedic-minded comedic people, creative, cre creative comedians or comedic creatives who don't live in an existential dread most of the time. And it's very simple. Right, to say that, like, you know, we're just masochists and that's why we continue to put ourselves up for possible rejection. And, you know, you go up in front of a huge group of people knowing there is a very strong possibility, 50 50 chance you could bomb and be hated by a large number of people. Oh, 50 50. You're giving yourself much better odds. Yeah, I'm giving myself good odds. I'm realizing as soon as I <laughs> yeah, said it, no, I was no, like, no, 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 it's not great. Um, but I, I was like, so what and how must that look? to what I'll call as civilians, mm -hmm. normies, civilians, people out in the world who do what we call real jobs and have real existences that are just more conventional, right? Certainly more consistent, mm -hmm. more secure, more career paths that have a real guarantee of what they will look like. Um, and they think we're nuts. They think we must be absolutely insane. But I realize the motivating factor for me is fear of being stuck in a career where I am miserable or don't know what I would be doing. I, I, I am terrible at math. <laughs> that counts out a, a right. large number of professions. My father was a CPA, is a CPA mm -hmm. still. <laughs> That's another conversation right. is okay. when he's going to retire. Who knows? Um, you know, I knew I wasn't capable of all, all the jobs that involve numbers. Right. So I lived in fear of being forced into a job where I had to deal with numbers and or I would get a job with numbers and then I wouldn't be able to do it. That would be even more humiliating. Then there's the jobs that involve um, offices right. and uh, uh, business plans or that. 
those, I was so scared of the conventional life that I was like, I'm not as afraid to put myself on stage and look silly because even, even at the beginning, I knew that an audience is ever changing. Mm -hmm. Um, well, what's so scary about an office? Oh my God. The idea of being confined to the same view for eight hours oh, the sameness. a day. So the sameness. You're afraid of living the same day over and over again. I'm really afraid of living the same day. I was afraid. I think I had examples of, um, you know, I grew up in suburban Boston, Swampscott, and there was so much sameness all around me. And I could, I, you know, I think like a lot of children of the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, we were fed a steady stream of pop culture that was exciting. And every story felt like you leave this behind. But the people I lived around didn't, Seem and they none of them intended to leave it behind. Right. So I was like, "You guys are nuts! Like, why would you? This is what you want right. to do? What your father does? Right. You want to take over his business with his stationery store? What is happening?" And the doctor thing looked real hard. Right. You know, I wasn't good in cl- in 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 academic classes. I. It's not that I was failing. I could right. definitely get through. Sure. Um, and I was literate and I was managing, but I couldn't help but think I, I'm the only one of my childhood friends that doesn't have a master's degree, doesn't have an advanced degree right. of some kind. But, so I, all I could think was like, you want more school? Right. But so, but I mean, this is, calling them crazy is weird. You're the weirdo. In other words, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, the, there's a comfort in going back to your dad's stationery store because you know how it works. And, uh, but it's so boring. Boredom is a real motivator for me. Yeah. The idea of, there's nothing boring about the life that we have chosen. You, it is um, risky. It's high risk. Mm-hmm. It is high reward. Right. Um, I've lived long enough now to know that even the failures and the all-encompassing misery of of low points is not. They're not eternal. You know. And I so, also. I, I. I don't know. I think I. I learned early on. This is the other thing. I had a really interesting experience where. Once I graduated college with a degree in communications, which was really a degree in smoking pot and watching right. movies. Now, right, communications is nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, truly nothing. Right. And now there's even more versions of nothing degrees, which is fascinating. <laughs> but like, I, I was like, I really, I don't know what, I, what what happens now. Right. And that was because I was too afraid to be a theater major. I had applied to be a theater major. I got into these theater programs, and then I backed out last minute because I thought, well, those aren't real jobs. I'll just sit and watch movies. I guess that'll be my job. <laughs> so no great rationale there. But I graduated college, and I thought, okay. You know what? I'll do summer stock. That sounded like a thing people right. do. You go and you have a summer in a tiny, tiny playhouse, and you do uh, you do our town, and uh, maybe have a, a, right. a love affair, and, and right, move and, on. And, and that's how you become a successful business person. Correct, exactly. <laughs> and then I can go back to right. whatever my real world job right. will be someday. Yeah. So I was not a trained actor. Mm-hmm. So I went to the New England Theater Conference auditions, which were mass cattle calls for all these theaters. And I was up there with Berkeley grads and NYU grads right. and BU grads from the School of Fine Arts, these professional people. I was terrible. I got one call back. It was for a Renaissance Festival. I didn't know what a Renaissance Festival was. This was before mm-hmm. Google. Right. It wasn't, in, it wasn't the joke of the zeitgeist yet. Mm-hmm. Like nobody really had ever heard of it. Right. I looked at the brochure, did not read it properly and thought it's Shakespeare in the park. <laughs> I got a job doing Shakespeare in the park. Check me out. Wow, you're so much dumber than I thought you were. Super dumb. Wow, I had no so idea. So dumb. Oh lazy, my gosh. Lazy. Yeah. Couldn't even open the wow. future. On the front there was a Shakespearean uh, yeah. looking lady and I okay. thought this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And I drove 5 hours in my dad's car to mm-hmm. Lake Ontario and worked at a Renaissance festival and while it was also just a completely culture shock culture shock 
for me. Right. It was also my first understanding that there is a life for performers and for writers and creatives that exists between um, Fry Cook and Angelina Jolie. Yes. And I think at that point, that's when I started being less afraid. Because say what you will, I was really good at working at the Renaissance Festival. Yeah. And I was around people who functioned, who were not homeless. Some of them were on the road in their RVs all year long. Sure. But, but, not, but they were functional human beings. Some of them even had children that they took care of who lived working in this weird middle ground. And that's when I started to see all the things that you don't see if you're not looking for them, which is that people it can, ex can live creative lives at any level without being huge stars. So the, the revelation was show business or creative life is not just the top stratosphere or, or homelessness. Or failure. <laughs> There's exactly. something in between. Okay. And you don't grow up thinking that. You grow up watching the Oscar ceremony and you right. think that's the only Well, you grow goal. up thinking. I grew up knowing that that exists because my dad was a, a mid-level television writer. So I knew oh that gosh. there was- Did you grow up in Los Angeles? I did. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles and my father was- not more than a mid-level. He was a very successful television writer, but I knew that you could... I had that's, no idea. That was the stationery store. I to me, the, working in Hollywood was like, okay, I, I know that you can have those careers and they exist. The other thing that was uh, also has been interesting now in 2023 is that the staid career of people in offices, that doesn't exist anymore. No. People leave jobs every three years. Oh, and yeah. there's no there's no stability anyway. Oh, so no, no. why Ex not be in show business? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I have to say during the pandemic, when a lot of my more conventional uh, careered friends out in the world were panicking because people were getting laid off and people, I was like, oh, what? Are you worried about? Oh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I just, I'm not working right now because right. that's, I, could, I mean, sometimes you're working, right? And then sometimes you're not. Right. Like that's how it, so uh, for me, I was very used to that yeah. and I wasn't as horrified and upset by it. So back to the moment where a couple of years ago you said, I oh, yeah. need to do something. Yes. What what were you afraid of? Uh -huh. What were you afraid of in that moment? And then how did you get past that fear or how did that fear drive you to do the stuff that you needed to so do? So the one thing I will say, the one mistake but inevitable mistake that I made is that I, I attached myself to two very specific forms of performing and two very specific stories that I told myself, which was I always wanted to tell the story about the Renaissance Festival because mm -hmm. it was so revelatory for me and it was such an exciting time. And it, I also imagined it always as Private Benjamin at the Renaissance Festival. So I, I knew it was like I had done the one person show about it. That's probably how I got my agent. I don't even remember anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. And it felt like I was very attached to that story. I'm the Ren Fair girl. I'm that girl that like makes fun of the Ren Fair, but also like loves it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Right. <laughs> so I was that. And then I also had a, a comedy act called Rana and Beverly, mm -hmm. and that found a lot of success in the alternative comedy world. So I was either the my alter ego Beverly, the Jewish Yenta from Swampscott, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. or I was Ren Fair Girl. And I always I had this idea that those are the things that define me. If I had a business card, I would either have one that said both of them, or I would have two separate business cards, and they would say one or the other. And that was what I was good at. Mm -hmm. And that was in my mind why I had worked so much as an actor, because somebody had seen Beverly or somebody had seen the Ren Fair thing. Hmm. Or 
why I got to write that movie because, I, you know, that never got made. I write a lot of movies that never mm-hmm. got made. Me too. You know, yeah, oh yeah, isn't that fun? <laughs> um, that's a whole other industry. Yeah. Not, not successful. We're not Steven Spielberg. Right. But we're also not... But we got paid. I got paid to I write got the paid. movie. Exactly. Uh, see, that's, I started becoming less afraid when I realized how yeah. much work there was that right. nobody sees. That's right. So I felt like when, when Rana and Beverly broke up about five or six years ago maybe... And then when uh, my Ren Fair show, I finally got to produce it. You can get it on Amazon Prime for, I think, the one season. You can get it for twenty nine ninety nine or nine ninety nine, depending on your what you. I would prefer the nine ninety nine version. Sure. Either way, it's ten full episodes. It's like Freaks and Geeks, one okay. season, in and out, mm-hmm. in and out. Um, you know, when that was made and happened and aired, and nobody saw it, mm-hmm. and it was not promoted. It was on a dying network. It was just kind of came and went without. A, 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 a breath, mm-hmm. a whisper. Right. I, this was right around the beginning of the pandemic and I fell apart because I was like, wait a minute, I've always been able to rely on Rana and Beverly and I've always been able to rely on, I'm just going to have to keep pushing that Renfair thing because those are the things that seem to underpin all of my motivation. And But in the meantime, you were getting work and, and, yeah. and being on shows and being... Yes, but, and, well, this was, again, probably misguided, but in my mind, it was only because of those two things. I had attached my identity to those calling cards. Right. And the truth was, is I think because I had always leaned on one or the other in those times when I wasn't working regularly as an actor, which... I always call myself a career guest star because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's very rare that I got as a series regular on something that went. That happened mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. And again, one season wonders. Never happens. So, but again, I always felt like, I mean, the first thing I would do on those shows is like, you have to come see my old comedy show. Like, I, I, I just was so attached to those being what, what, where my worth was. Right. So when they went away, I, I sat there and I thought, oh, my God. I don't know what I can generate anymore. Now, maybe I'm just going to be an actor who's dependent on other people just casting me as an actor with no special sauce. Mm -hmm. And I just fell into a deep hole trying to figure out if that was going to be enough. And I also had to reclaim the fact that even though those were specific stories and characters, what I had learned from doing them was a whole other skill set that could be applied in other places. So what had happened was, this was right at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was, you would have had to pull me off the floor at this time. If I was up, it was because I was pretending to be normal for my children. Okay. Um, Which is a good skill. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, that's the other thing, uh, is like, yes. you real fake it till you make it. Like, you know, you have children. Yeah. Jamie's looking that way because Nick is, our engineer oh, yeah. is over there. He is completely naked, so she keeps right, looking right. over. He is, and but, it's, uh, it's uh, the, the don't be alone thing feels yeah. like, it, I should be alone with Jay, I, yeah, because fine. this is it's all right. terrifying. Just ignore it, um, it's cool. It's hard to ignore Yeah, it's fully right. naked. Yeah, that's right. Um, my... Uh, agent who was not my agent at the time because we went through the WGA thing of firing our agent. Mm-hmm, so, right. But she was a good friend. Sure. And she said, listen, I'm going to give you this information not as my client. She said, uh, Krista Vernoff, and I was like, Krista Vernoff, Krista Vernoff, network television. Okay, she's a network television mm-hmm. producer. She goes, yeah, she, they're looking for a comedic, high-level woman uh, voice on her new legal one-hour network drama. And I said... Okay, mm-hmm. and what would you like from me? <laughs> I've right. never been in a writer's room that was not my own project. Mm-hmm. I certainly know nothing. You had me 
at legal drama right. saying no thanks. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't. I said, first of all, she's not going to hire me. Second of all, how am I going to do that job? But I, but the funny thing was, is I was so low and so scared of not of not taking an opportunity or at least taking a meeting because I thought if she's dumb enough to hire me, maybe I'm dumb enough to do. It. I don't know. So fear, your fear was, I'm not going to. You're too afraid not to take the meeting yeah. as opposed to too afraid to take the meeting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because right. right. I thought, well, I've already been rejected in all of the other worlds. Like, what am I supposed to do? If I don't take someone saying, we might have a job for you and I don't take it, I'm afraid that my family won't eat. Right. You know, my husband's got right. a very uh, unreliable career these days. <laughs> um, it's not his fault. Sure. It's just sure. that's that business. Right. He's more of an actor and mm-hmm. I'm more of a writer. Right. Always have been. Right. Um. And so I took the meeting. It was my first Zoom, which is hilarious. He's killing it on Twitter, though. Ugh, please. But you know what? With the social media, stop it. <laughs> All of you children with your social media. All right. Um, he is. He's a very. Yes. He's a very. He's got a good progressive mind. Yes, he does. Um, I. I just. I took the meeting. I was myself. I mm-hmm. didn't pretend that I knew about the law. And right. she said, "I don't know about the law. We right. have an elite. We have a lawyer. Right. He comes in and you write legal, legal, and they fill in the. Law. Yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe I could do this." It was such a good experience. It was all during the pandemic. I worked on this legal drop. It was called Rebel. It ran for one season with Katie Segal and um, Andy Garcia. And I I was, it was nothing. If you had said to me, you're going to be working on a legal network drama as a writer, I would have said that will never, ever, ever happen. I don't know how that would happen. Right. And then when that show went away, she, put, she also runs Grey's Anatomy. So she put me on Grey's Anatomy in the same kind of position. Now I write medical drama. That's awesome. Yes. That's so good. And what's been really amazing for me is recognizing that the skills I picked up as Beverly and the skills I picked up from the Renfair experience really complement what I do now. I've telling stories. Telling stories. Yeah. And I'm a mimic. Right. I was mimicking so many people in my life. You're mimicking a voice when you right. come into somebody, even if it's not funny or whatever, I mean, you're still mimicking the character's voice. You're right. really tuning in. I mean, I've been doing voices for other people my whole life. That's what I do. That's exactly right. So. Staff it, writing Staff writing is about mimicking voice, but it's also about mimicking the showrunner's voice. In correct. other words, you're understanding what the showrunner, how they write and, and the their cadence and what they think is interesting. And you're trying to feed them the stuff they like. And to come full circle, I've just recently started to bring, you know, Beverly was kind of in a coma for uh, a while mm-hmm. um, and I've started to bring her back because I do miss performing mm-hmm. and now that live performance is back and up and everything else I'm bringing Beverly back but as a solo act mm. and the storytelling I'm also doing a Beverly show okay. and is that That's weird? weird. I love weird okay alright it's fine it's all good Okay, but Feels- I figured once it was gone it was dead it was free no, fair game no definitely. no, no we'll, okay we'll alright off all right. Good. Yeah. I mean I guess we'll Okay. Yeah, all right, we'll now see. it got weird. <laughs> um, no, so I I'm bringing her back, and I did a live solo show recently mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. But m- the skills I picked up at Gray's right. have helped me with that. That's great because creating a narrative that has beginning, middle, and end, creating these these short scenes that that Gray's is sort of actually made of. You know, when you have all these little scenes, if I felt like I could inform the solo show in a much stronger way than I ever would have before. Because before it was an improv act where we were back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There was definitely a story, but this, when you're performing as a solo 
anything, mm-hmm. you have to give the audience a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, for sure. Unless you're a really fucking great stand-up. And my favorite stand-ups still give a yeah, beginning, middle, and Of course, they, they end. do. They, they, you have to finish. Yeah. Certainly you have to finish. Yeah. And your finish has to do with something you said earlier. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so I feel like because Grey's has given me so much instinct for that, that this, is, this incarnation might even be better. So I, I now know that I'm capable of more things. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because uh, I was here to tell you you weren't capable of more things, but that's so good that now I think it's it's different. Uh, you are always capable of well, amazing things. you think things. that, which is really nice to hear, Jay. I, You're I've so always, Well, confident. I remember you telling me uh, it was a few years ago. I was like, I wrote this thing, and it was like, and you you weren't thrilled about that. It's like I don't think it's any good. It's like of course it's good. And it's like fuck. I was like I I wanted. I read it. I liked it. And I was like, and I was thinking I should write find something to write with her. She's How'd so good. How you get over your fear? Of everything. Um, I, Is it masochism? It's a little bit masochism. My, my fear of sucking has been diminished by years of improv. In other words, yeah. the idea that you have to get on stage and just do it. And hopefully it'll be good. But if it's not good, there'll be the next improv. So it'll be all right. It, so. Improv is really, it's like in Ted Lasso when Danny Rojas is like, football is life. That's, I mean, improv is life. It is. So I'm, uh, without having done improv, which would, gave me a lot of things about writing and character and other things, but it gave me the idea that you just do. You try and you do. Now, it doesn't mean that when I start a new script, I'm not scared shitless. And where I'm on like the blank page in that moment, think that, oh, in this moment, this will be my last script because they'll read it and realize I suck. But uh, the moving forward, I'll tell you the other things help me. I promised somebody a script, and so I have to do that. Or I said I would show up to an audition, and I would probably have to show up. I'm really afraid of dissing disappointing people exactly. on a very basic level. So, but I really, that helps me. So that gives me, I don't want to disappoint people and I want to sort of show up and I owe somebody something. So I'll put it down. And I, while I hate it in the moment, um, I have learned to sort of get in the writing of it, like certain parts of it and then rewrite certain parts of it and cut out the stuff that, so eventually I fall in love with the thing that I'm writing. But I start out really, really hating it and being scared of it. I understand. Um, and so I, I think the improv thing is really it just reminded me of something else, which was that after the Ren Fair, I went and worked at Walt Disney World in Orlando for two years. Right. You think it's a weird transition a weird turn, but it's Seems almost like the same thing. It is a little similar. Yeah. yeah. So I got hired to work as part of an interactive show like called Streetmosphere. At MGM Studios. Oh, we hold, all know Streetmosphere. Hold your laughter, n- nudist. <laughs> we all know Streetmosphere. Right. Yeah. So we were themed entertainment, interactive artists, improv. Whatever. I'm a Mosphereian, by the way. Okay. Yeah. You know what? How dare yeah. you? <laughs> so we would do that, and then um, I, there was also a comedy club. There okay. was a, this is before it became like all shopping and downtown Disney stuff in right. Orlando. Yeah. They had what was called Pleasure Island. Yeah. Sounds dirty, isn't dirty. I've been there. Okay. Yes. So they had a dance club and they mm-hmm. had a like an adventurous club right. where it was like <laughs> celebrating the imperialists right. and like toasting the African yeah. artifacts stolen on the wall. That kind of thing. Um, and then they had a comedy club that was uh, improv. It was Whose Line Is It Anyway? But short they form. also had stand ups there, that, right? They occasionally would have stand ups, yeah. but every night of the First of all, the other thing that I also remembered recently, it like came back to me in a mm-hmm. flash, was that every night was New Year's Eve. Like oh, that was the theme. That was okay. like the theme of Pleasure Island, yeah. but regardless. Okay. What they had was they had six 45-minute improv shows a night. 
and there was like an ensemble of like 12 of us right. and you would be on staff and you would do four or five 45 minute improv shows every single night. Wow. Which means that, and you're working clean. Right. It's boot camp. Right. I mean, not every one of those shows is going to be good. In fact, most of them are going to be terrible. Yeah, that sounds horrible. If you could describe Hell to Me, it's five improv shows stuck in an Orlando island. And I was, yeah. I was, I did it from the ages of 22 to 24. Mm -hmm. And it was, talk about boot camp. It's yeah. like what you're saying. It's like, you know what? I don't have time to be afraid because right. I have to get back up there in 20 right. minutes. So I, don't, I can't even lick my wounds. So, I mean, it was a lot of rhyming. There was a lot of rhyming involved. Right. But it was like, it really was, and I did it, that job I did for about a year. So... You just, the fear part went away. Repetition, repetition. Repetition helps you eliminate some fear. I keep saying to uh, my, you know, my son and other people, like, repeat. Do it, repeat. Yeah. Fail and repeat. Practice. Do good, you know, if you get accepted, if you get rejected, go for another, uh, you know, put yourself out there again. Put yourself out there again. That goes with all things, with work, with life, with dating, everything. You just have to keep putting yourself out there. It becomes less scary. It just does. And again, like, there was something so, I remember, like, it was, to me, that was the coolest job you could have right. at Walt Disney World. Right. was, like, right. being one of those, like, jokey people, those really smart-seeming people, and they are smart, actually. I'm mm -hmm. still friends with a lot of them. But, like, they seemed like the smartest kids in that right. world. Can I disabuse you of the notion it was the coolest job in the world? Sure. Okay. It was great. the coolest job at Disney. <laughs> okay, oh sure. no, not right, the world. Yeah. No, right, not the world. Good. I mean, John Stills like, where where did you do your comedy at Disney? And like <laughs> at the Who, What, and Warehouse. Right. We were there. <laughs> with the, where that's where you stored your comedy sure, in the comedy sure. warehouse. The Who, What, and Warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, not cool at okay, all. Okay. All right. Not that's cool great. at all. Yeah. But you do it and you do it and you do it and you get rejected and you or you get accepted and you do it and, and you do it. You and then you find that you're like, well, now I'm really good at this what what I thought at the time, shockingly, was a very useless skill. Like I can rhyme some stuff and I talk to an audience if someone wants me to, right? I guess. But That's good. Turns out it was much, much more. Yeah. Right? Because improv helps. Writing it helps. Social interaction, it helps communication, it helps, I think, parenting. I think it helps all kinds of things. That's interesting. How does it help your parenting? Just to be able to go with... Be the... playful. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think it helps you be more flexible. It mm -hmm. helps you adapt to situations. Right. I think once you've done the exercise where, like, I mean, the short form game of, like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, you turn... It's so dumb. You're going to love this one. Okay. Um, you know, what is it? It's a dick. It's mm -hmm. a phone. It's right. a it's a rocket right. ship. Whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're getting down on your knees with a kid and you're like, how can I make this? The kid is having a tantrum or whatever. Right. It's like, there's just more ideas that come. And yeah, and improv is playing and kids love to play. And you get in, re in touch with your playful nature as an adult when you start doing improv games and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So that, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think so. At first I thought you were crazy, but now, now I'm thinking you're right. Now I've, under <laughs> I've explained it. Exactly. The end. <laughs> we did it. That's, that's awesome. There's our sign off. <laughs>Incarnation working at uh, Grey's Anatomy. Are mm -hmm. you still? Um, are you free of of, uh, of fear or anything when you when you pitch an idea or turn in your script? Are you just like? Is it all groovy and fine? Yeah, 
I mean, I've also learned to take, I mean, part of also my, my, after my rock bottom was I had to learn that criticism and constructive criticism are really not nuclear bombs in right. your face. Like I, I, I was the kind of personality and I think a lot of children who grow up to perform <laughs> grow up, um, maybe walking on eggshells in their home. And so, because of, for whatever reason, it could be um, complicated parental marriage, it could be addiction abuse, whatever, who knows? Mm -hmm. It could just have been a, a house where your parents maybe weren't fulfilling their own dreams. I don't know. But it seems to be a personality type where you are afraid of being yelled at. And what that translates to in adulthood is if someone is mad at you, it is intolerable. Yeah, that's it, me, by the way. It's devastating. Yeah, it I is, am. I am. Right. I cannot be yelled at. Correct. Right. It is. Um, I have a couple of notes for you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm gonna kill myself for you. It's you know, what I've been able to practice at Grey's Anatomy because it's not my show. It's mm -hmm. its own right. thing. Yeah. I can't possibly please my bosses all the time. Even if I was a some kind of like savant for Grays, it's still not my show. It, it, I would make mistakes. And I, I have learned that it's okay and right. it's not the end of the world. And also a lot of those times I can take that criticism, oh, okay, let me try it again. Great, that's what we were looking for. And sometimes... Give it to another writer. You know what I mean? It's not the end of the world is a really good thing to hang on to. Ooh. I mean, if you're anybody wants to do anything and they're thinking it's going to be the end of the world or it's going to be a disaster, or it's going to be, then they won't do anything. No. So hang no. on to the idea that it's going to be fine yeah. regardless. No matter what happens, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And anticipate it's not going to go well and that's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And it also doesn't mean that you're not good at this. Right. It doesn't mean that you don't bring value and worth in other areas. I mean, that was something I really had to wrap my brain around was like, I want to be good at this whole job. Just mm -hmm. got here. Yeah. Never worked on a medical drama. It's 17 seasons before I got there, which I had to fast forward and watch like I had to basically catch up on. All 17 seasons? I fast forwarded a lot. Yeah, come on. But you I can read, read the summaries. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. And I watched a lot of the iconic. And isn't there some of... some person in the room who knows everything from all seventeen seasons 100%. anyway? Yes, we have so a few. So you can just pitch that. Yep. Like, we did that before. Absolutely. Okay, it. But like, you want to be pleasing. Yeah. You want to you want to make it worth their while that they brought you here. And what I've come to realize, I've been there for two years. I'm going to go back when the strike is over. I don't know. Um, is I. There are certain skills that I bring because of the experiences that I've had. Right. And there are some skills that I'm, I really need to work on, you know, I, 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 that I'm not great at yet. Maybe I'll never be great at them. But that's okay, too, because there are people there who have those skills. And right. they don't bring what I bring. And so I never thought that my acting experience, because, again, journeyman guest star, over 100 credits, but... That makes me very comfortable on a set. Mm -hmm. Makes me very comfortable when I'm producing an episode. Whereas sometimes the most incredible writers in our room 
it's their it's it's their hell to be right. on the set because they're not they're introvert who knows what like the, their communication skills are not the same or they don't know what a flag is or right. they don't know what a you know what the DP does or whatever I'm not saying by the way if anyone's crazy listening to this I'm not saying that you don't know what the DP no does. you're calling them idiots no, okay. okay I didn't really call them idiots. I'm, <laughs> I'm apologizing I'm All apologizing right. for calling you idiots yeah but you know what I mean like I bring... by the way my entire audience is the Grey's Anatomy <laughs> writing staff that's weird. the only people that's who listen weird. to the show hey Mark what's going on <laughs> Julia yeah. I took a, yeah. a scone from your office right, sure it was really good. Uh, no, it's it's, um, it's great to be on. Like it's my heaven is to be on set. Oh, Always, yeah. I yeah. love it. I mean, and I also, but I I also have a fundamental comfort with it that I think is not as natural to people who just haven't been on it as much. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's how I feel when I'm on set. I you know, having been an actor, that that like I can talk to actors yes. and be much more comfortable with them. I don't say like say it like I say it like this. I you know, know. we I know. talk about. Like, okay, here's the scene, here's your motivation, you know, can you do it, can, can we put a little bit more energy? There are other things that you say to somebody who, because you respect their process. Well, it was so interesting. Thing. I think when I first realized this whole idea was I did the showrunner training program at the WGA, mm -hmm. which is a really, it was a really great program. I don't know if it's, you know, how they do it now, but I did it because... American Princess, my show was going, mm -hmm. the one that's available on Prime Video. For, right, for $29.99? I think $29.99, okay. I'm not right. sure. Yeah. Um, so I I applied and fortunately got in because I was. If I, I went every other episode, is it like half price? What's wrong with you? All right, I specifically said I was like, you cannot let me into this program, but like you're basically letting the train run off a cliff because right. I don't know what I'm doing. So they let me in. So I went in and. I was one of only like maybe two actors who were there. Every like thirty people, and they were all like really had come up through the writers. Mm -hmm. trajectory. Right. They came in through, they were a writer's assistant and then they were a staff writer and then they were this level and, they, and then there were people who like had only been in the Berlanti camp there, and one person had never been on a show that went for more than one season. And I was like, I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like I brought, there was a whole session on communicating with actors and right. people were taking notes and I'm like, oh wow, okay, interesting. Because it's such, it's its own skill that yeah. I took for granted. Yeah, so. know it. We bring, we bring our experience, yeah. and that experience is, can be often be helpful. Well, and then, I'm also just less afraid because I'm a lady of a certain age, Jay. <laughs> I'm a lady of a certain age. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, it feels good. I do think of you as very yeah. vagina friendly. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, we're there's another section of our show that Ooh. I like to do. It's called Question Time. Oh boy! So now you get to pick uh, from. Uh, these categories, uh, big questions. Well, you won't. You'll, you'll pick a letter and you'll pick a number. But the categories of questions are strange questions, history questions, life challenges, joy, curiosity, friendship, and big life questions. So I want you to pick a letter between A and G. And it could be A or G, but A B C D E F G. You know, you know how the alphabet goes, right? Can I tell you something? I literally was like H because no, no, something's wrong with no. me. Okay. Um, H is the one letter you okay. can. Okay, D. D, okay. And a number between 1 and 18. 16. Okay. So question D16 is, uh, the category is joy. Oh, good. And uh, how do you approach the balance between work and leisure time, and what strategies do you use to ensure you have enough time for joy and relaxation? Oh, gosh. That's such a good question. You know who thought of it? Jake Hogan. AI. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Chat <laughs> <That's> GPT. <awesome. laughs> okay. Um, well, 
over the years, I have come to understand that I am a, I'm actually a, a morning person. I used to make fun of my dad my whole life because mm -hmm. he, the man was up at five o'clock every right. morning on the dot, no alarm, just up. Like right. we'd be up, he's been up for three hours. Right. And I grew out of that. And in these past few years, fucking 5.30 in the morning, there this bitch is wide awake. Right, all right. Like, what it do doesn't matter. It doesn't do matter when I go to sleep. Who cares? And what are you doing at that time? I have a routine. I make myself coffee. I take care of the dogs. I sit. I read news headlines. I sometimes remember my gratitude list. It's really <laughs> All right. Important. Good. Uh -huh. um, and then slowly everybody kind of comes to. But I'm also in realizing that I'm a morning person. My most productive time is the morning. If I'm not writing... Or unless I'm on script and then it's kind of whenever, it's all right. day or whatever. But like I if I'm working on my own creativity and my own projects, after two o'clock, she's done. Right. It's over. That's it's right. It's over. It's just not how I roll. Mm -hmm. And in embracing that, I have found that my joy is in the later afternoon and evening. So it's like I will and I I, I love Los Angeles. I am your town. I'm is glad you like Los Angeles. I'm a Los Angeles apologist and and a, a, an appreciate a connoisseur. Me too. Love it. Me too. I understand why people hate it here, but I love it. Uh, I'm also like, if you hate it, you can go. Like, <laughs> what are you, an actor, writer? We have so many. Right. That's We're good. True. We're full. That's right. Actually, we have plenty. Yeah. You're good. Go back yeah. to New York. No, I know. It's, what, it's, you a, the subway? it's a big place. There's like, it's hard to find a, a center of gravity here. I get, I get all okay. that. Okay. Well, that's your problem. You <laughs> no, I. Um, there's so much joy in Los Angeles that is unique be for me, maybe, because I did not grow up here. Mm -hmm. So I still think that the Korean spa is, like, the greatest thing that's ever fucked. I will use – my joy yeah. is, like, I'm going to go get a massage at the Korean spa. <laughs> it's so crazy, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, you've been doing it for 25 right. years. Exactly. So, like, I that's where I find joy. Right. I, I love it. I love – the uh, I the beach is my joy. Mm -hmm. I will take a computer and go to the beach. So you're saying that you you morning is work, afternoon evening is more relaxation, and then you just forget about the kids. Oh fuck! Do I have to talk about those? Kids? <laughs> yeah, I guess the kids are joyful. Yeah. Um, I no, they don't. I'm not saying they're joyful, but like, at what point do you say did somebody do their homework or? You oh know? well, who has homework anymore, Jay? Oh. No, man. Okay. We don't have homework because we don't have homework now, man. We watch Jaws and like you know. I mean, I want to die. Okay. My son goes to a school that had no homework. Okay. Um, your academic standards in the state. I do have an issue with them. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, um, wow. Yeah. It feels like all my friends' kids back east are significantly smarter. My kid is a super genius. I know he is. So uh, we're not. I, I, right. I would beg to differ. Okay. But, all right, but it's like I get it. I, I get think it. if it's not Harvard Westlake, yeah. it's bad. All right, maybe. Um, I think the these oh, and I think that goes across the board for public and mm -hmm. the fancy privates, yeah. which are now like solely focused. I know a lot on, of kids who got uh, uh, you know Charlie goes to a fancy university, and does. a lot of those kids went to California public schools. Yeah, but that's an exclusive university. I'm, I'm trying. You can't talk to you because I'm talking about normal children. Yeah, I understand. You know okay. what I mean. All right. But my my like my son is in seventh grade last year. He he read one book. <laughs> Okay. One. Was it like a thin book? Wasn't thick. Okay. What it was, was the book? it was a long walk to water. Okay. All right. I was like, mm -hmm. and did he actually read it? He did. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, he was he had plenty of time to because he had no home fucking homework. <laughs> so um, he's going to a different school this right. year. Um, anyway, the point is, yes, my children are um, 
you know, it's, they, of course they fill me with joy. I like to adventure with them. Like Good. I like, I'm a planner. Like mm -hmm. I, if we're a weekend day that's coming up and there's nothing happening and I can see that there's a big white space, I'm like, all right, we're going to go to a museum or we're going to go to the beach. Or we're going to make a plan with these people and we're going to spend the day because I don't, do well sitting around the house with just like... And are they happy to go along or are they whiny? And... Oh, at this point, they know that they don't have a choice. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So mostly, yeah. They're so good you, They're good adventures. You bring the hammer down. A little bit. Okay, good. All right, that's nice. I do. I, 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 you have to see your world. All right. You know, I mean, I also was parenting and I feel like your son is a little bit older, but like in the age of like hardcore neurosis about all, everything and I, I just don't want them to be afraid to be independent and to go out into the world and to drive. And How do things. you get them to be communicative and be uh, friends with people that not just texting, but like in person or phone conversations or things where they're actually spending time with? Um, if they are, if I would say for my kids, it hasn't been sports. I think if you have sporty kids, you're really lucky because you're getting social interaction mixed with physical interaction. Like there's no, other also, you can't be on your fucking phone mm -hmm. while you're manning first plate. Right. You know what I mean? First plate. It's, it's base. Space. It's base. Yeah. Right. As I said, we're like not. Boston's sporting. not much of a baseball town, so I get it. I mean, I was, you see why I had to leave, right? <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. um, we're musical theater people. Yeah, you know sure. what I mean? We're theater people. So okay. we have encouraged. And it's worked. And my our daughter, like, she does production. She did a play outside of school where it was, like, a student-run production. Right. And, like, our son did a show this past – he did, like, a – it was a ballet. It was actually in the ballet. It was called Act One. He did Little Shop of Horrors. Mm -hmm. Like, and basically he didn't want to audition. Hilariously, he didn't want to audition. And I was like, look, I'm no stage mom. I said, you have to do something right. with a group of human beings. Right. I don't care what it is. Right. What do you want to do? Right. You want to, do you want to mm -hmm. do, do soccer? Right. Well, you can. Right. I'll find. I'll figure it out. But I was like, it's got to be something. He's like, no, I like Little Shop of Horrors. Meanwhile, That's he was awesome. Seymour and he was terrific. Oh, fantastic. But like, you know, that was three hours, three times a week. So it was like, it encourages. And then who he's texting with the rest of the time are those kids. Right. You know, so I know that there's a combination of all that right. behavior. And that makes, and I also have been forcing my children to go to overnight summer camp forever. That's great. Because no phones and right. nothing but interaction and yeah. social. Because I think people, you know, adults too, but mostly kids lose or don't have the ability to socialize as well anymore because they are like these machine zombie people that they, they don't know what it's like to even hear a snarky comment or hear yeah. a, a compliment or hear something genuine or hear something. The, the text, reading text is not the same thing as communicating. There's energy passing between us right yeah. now, all around us. It's in, some of it, a lot of it's perceptible and a lot of it's imperceptible. Like the tiny way that I can see that like your eyes are blinking. Like we've given up so much to Steve Jobs. Yeah. We've given up so much. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe, and I've been sort of anti, make no mistake, I have my fucking phone right there. I'm going to check it the second this stuff. You have a phone? Sorry. Wow. Sorry, nudist. I'm bragging. Um, except he's holding his phone on his ears. <laughs> oh, um, that's a <sighs> um, I, um, I've, I, I've tried to scare them significantly. Like, I feel like I've been trying to instill, knowing that I was going to lose mm -hmm. this battle. Right. So we're all losing, right? right? We're no one's winning. I've tried to make the experience this much less 
enjoyable. It's like drugs. For me, I was scared straight. Mm -hmm. I went to health class in seventh grade in 1987. I was told, if you do any LSD, it will lodge in your system, and then you'll have a flashback like 20 years later. Right. Probably that won't happen. Mm -hmm. I still think it maybe can. Sure. I saw, to me, it was, you can get AIDS from a toilet seat. I know that's not true. Right. But it scared, it made... It made the experience of casual sex this much less enjoyable. You know what <laughs> okay, I mean? Yeah. Or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. just knowing that, like, so since the beginning of phones, I have been like, it's not real. Everything about it sucks. By the way, anything you put in text, anything could be on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. Anything. Anything. Digital. Not, right. not a digital footprint. It's a digital bloop. It's a, it's a, it's a digital tattoo. Right. Like, okay. they hate me sure. when I talk about it. Okay. But I think it's ruined them a All little right. bit, which good. is good. All right. Fair enough. That's nice. That they live in fear and then they'll have something to uh, rebel yeah, against you. Exactly. So that's, that's I also nice. think I also think that don't you think that our kids and maybe you're experiencing this already? Is there any kind of like m movement towards? Hey guys, we're gonna have like an unplugged night, so everybody leave your phone at the door and we'll just talk by candlelight. Do they do that? I have this feeling that maybe that will happen in the future. They do. I yeah. think they do. That happens. That like happens. that's what's cool now. Yeah. No, ah, that that does happen. I mean, uh, not with me, because I take my phone everywhere. Well, you and I, I love it. we're d uh, it's over. <laughs> no exactly. one cares. It's done. It's, it's, it's over. true. I mean, I'm in uh, perimenopause. I'm useless. Yeah. My uh, my son is very good one on one, and I think he's not even great with the texting. So he prefers to be one on one. But but he still, I don't think he has nearly as much um, socializing as I did. Like I, when I was a kid, that's all I did. And yet you were afraid of opening your mouth and asking for a date. Yes. That's true. But I didn't know back then what I know now. If I could talk to myself, if I could talk to myself when I was 17 now, I would say, they're just as insecure. Just, you know, the, ask that person out. Ask that other person out. Just keep going keep until going. somebody says yes. And by the way, you yes, you'll get rejected and who cares? There was a guy who did a, an experiment where he uh, asked people to tell him no every day, uh, multiple times a day. So he would say... Um, uh, like he would call people up and say, can I, uh, will you help me move my couch? And they would say, no, great. And he would just want to hear no. And he would ask strangers things that they wouldn't, they would say no to it. So he got used to the idea of no. And he actually said it improved his life by a thousand times because he was no longer afraid to ask things or say things, ask questions. Because He's he was, a genius. Yeah. It was That's amazing. amazing. It was a few years ago. Somebody did this, and I thought, and I've, and I've said this to many people: just keep asking, get rejected, get used to the rejection, and then at some point, somebody's. And he actually had this too. He said, "Will you help me move my couch?" Some some people said yes. He wanted he wanted to no, know, and people said yes. So that was amazing. Uh, anyway, we're almost out of time. Um, thank you for coming to the Don't Be Alone penthouse. Uh, it's uh, it's, very, it's fabulous. It's a little too In the sexy. Don't for be alone title. tower. Yeah. Um, uh, there has been no. Don't be alone is not as creepy as it, as it sounds. This is about connectivity. This is not about, yeah. I just got it. Yeah, all right, all right, there you go. Whew, there's a lawsuit. <laughs> I, last thing before we say goodbye, and thank you again for being here. Thank You're you so for, nice. Thank I you called for having you me. For like out of the blue, and you said yes. It was so nice. I, See, I, I risked rejection, and you said yes. See? Well, no, you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid either. Okay, well, that's I'm good. just not. It's gotten much easier. Age helps with that so that's much. That's true. Now that I'm old, I care so much less about what people think of me. Well, yeah, and also we've managed to think about the people that we've hung on to despite our greatest fears. Some yeah. of the people that are still giving you a delightful response. It's like, oh, 
Okay, so then some people will say no and some people, I don't care anymore. Who cares? Who cares? It's Who over. Cares? It's over. The world's over. Okay, so this is what brings you joy. So bring the joy. This is the little segment. So is there something, I can go first or you can go first, your choice about what brings joy to you? We talked a little bit Do about it. Do I only it. say one thing? You can say more than one thing. Okay. But you, you want to go first? Because my thing is really simple. Yeah, go yours. Mine is very simple, which Tell. is I have never been anywhere where I saw the sunset and I was not thrilled and joyed. Just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. I don't care whether I'm in an office watching the sunset go down or whether I'm at the beach watching the sunset or whether I'm you know, at the car repair place and watching the sunset. There's something peaceful and beautiful about that golden light that just washes over you go like, this is awesome. Simple. Yes. Yeah. Fucking ice cream, man. Yeah, I get it. I, I get it. Wherever I am in the world, they've got their version. Yeah. And I'm going to try it. That's and right. I'm going to love it. Yeah. Because there's really not like a bad ice cream experience where you go, I mean, maybe the flavor wasn't exactly what you wanted, right. but you ate it. Right. I ate the whole thing. Sure. And licked the bowl. Right. Like, that's how it goes. In fact, I'm so delighted yeah. by the fact that I was so wrong about, so I live right near Larchmont. Uh-huh. And we had a Jenny's and we have a salt and straw. Not my favorites, but of course mm-hmm. they'll do. Right. And I was like, we don't need it. They're putting it in a gelato place. This is ridiculous. Right. We don't need another goddamn ice cream place. This is outrageous. And <laughs> right. I see that there's a line, and I'm like, all right. And you tried it? It's the most delicious gelato okay. I've ever had in my life. I'm delighted. So gelato. Yeah. Uh, Frogert? Sure. If all it's right. good. I like, the, right. I like Go Greek. All right. It's really good. Oof. You don't like Go Greek? It's everything, everything that's good about ice cream is no longer there in the go green. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, just have like ice cream. A, I also am a little bit like, can we just be honest with all the like like fancy ice creams and just be like, yeah, Haagen-Dazs is the kind of best one. Haagen-Dazs is great. It's delicious. It's fine. It's fine. I Baskin like, Robbins is good. Yes, Rite it is. Rite Aid sends a very fine ice cream. Thrifty? <laughs> yeah, the exactly. Best. So what I'm saying is, yeah. is you don't have to have like goat cheese and olive oil from Salt and Straw to have a good experience. I can have fucking chocolate chip. As a matter of fact, the fancier flavors of Salt and Straw are a little bit disappointing. I got to be honest. And disgusting. Just <laughs> stop it. it. Not everything has to be frozen with cream. It's hard to charge $15 for ice cream unless there's special ingredients inside of it. And I also like it when they get, uh, do like their fresh whipped cream because it's not too sweet. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you, Jamie Dembo. You're the best. You're the You're best, Jamie. Lovely Jay-Cogan. for thank being you here, so much. and thank you for not being alone with me, or being alone with me, or sort of being alone. What was it like being on set at The Simpsons? Uh, there's no set. It's an animated show. Don't no, you understand I don't, anything? I don't. Uh, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, I meant see, to ask you earlier. Yeah, no, no, it's not. Uh, okay. But it was great. It was great. Oh, okay, Let's just say cool. It was great. Amazing. It was great. Okay. I'll tell everyone at Grey's right. Anatomy. Bye, anyway. Mark. Bye, Julie. Anyway, uh, yes. Goodbye, all the Grey's, <laughs> and uh, and thank you again for being here. Thank you. All right. Don't be alone.